If you turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 1, found on page 1016, 1016. Luke 1, we're going to start at verse 5. Luke 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abja. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by Lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not fear, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent, I, I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people, and the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended... He went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. If you were sitting in your living room one night and suddenly the angel Gabriel appeared, what do you think that experience would be like? Normally when we think of angels, it's easy to get, I think, the wrong idea in your head. If you go into almost any card shop or a place where they have a lot of knickknacks and figurines, often you'll see angels and, and they always tend to be kind of alike. Um, they tend to be feminine. Um, often they're real petite. And uh, I don't know, there's a lot that I think have roly-poly chubby faces. I'm sure you've seen angels like that. Usually their little hands are portrayed as being empty, you know, like they're reaching out to us and 
so you can grab their hands. This couldn't be farther from the truth. Daniel 8.17, when Daniel met Gabriel, he was so terrified by his presence that he collapsed and fell into a deep sleep. Who knows, maybe he even fainted. Gabriel wasn't some wimpy angel. His very name means strength of God. He's one of the archangels that verse 19 tells us stands in the very presence of God. And he's been instructed to bring Zechariah a message from God. For sinful man to suddenly be in the presence of the holy, someone who has just been in the presence of God, that must be quite the experience. It must be thrilling and yet terrifying at the same time. When my boys were little, we had a picture hanging in their bedroom, depicting a little boy sleeping in bed and standing over him with a shield and a spear was the biggest, baddest angel you ever want to see. You see him right there. That's the picture. And the angel wasn't smiling. And I think he was not smiling because he's got a job to do. He's on duty. He's protecting our little ones. Again, gives you a little bit different idea of what angels are like. Many ways, the, the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, it's a, it's a strange way to begin the Christmas story. Often we skip right over them in our eagerness to get to the story of Jesus being born, but this is an important story that, that truly is part of the Christmas story, and, and we need to focus on it because it helps us prepare ourselves for the coming of, of Jesus. And I think uh, this story is a reminder to us that there's hope even when God seems silent. As we prepare for the coming of baby Jesus this Christmas, we're going to let a number of the angels proclaim the good news that Jesus was born. And so each week we'll have a a different angel up on on the wall, kind of depicting how we're focusing on on, on another story with angels in it. And as you will see, each of them, they really do have some exciting news to share with us. By all appearances, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were good people. Our text tells us clearly in verse 6 that both of them were upright in the sight of God and kept his commandments. Both of them were from the priestly line of Aaron, and Zechariah himself was a descendant of David and one of the heads of the priestly families. Zechariah faithfully served in the temple, and I think you could say he was a good man. There's just one problem. Just as God had been silent for the nation of Israel for some 400 years, God had also been silent in Zechariah and Elizabeth's life. They had prayed, they had pleaded to God that he would let them have a baby, have a child, and yet they were barren. And now they're well along in their years, and they had given up hope. It's a tough place to be. Imagine being Zechariah, depicting, dedicating your life to serving God, yet wondering why God was withholding his blessings from you. It's easy at times like this for doubt to start growing in your hearts. When you pray for something and pray for something, and God just doesn't seem to answer it. Zechariah was a man of faith, but 
I don't know if he had the kind of faith that could move mountains. Because we see his faith kind of crumbling here. Even though he stands in the presence of one of the archangels. Years of unanswered prayers had just taken their toll on him. And I don't think he believed anymore that they could have a child and he probably gave up hope that he would ever see the Messiah in his lifetime. One day Zechariah was burning incense on the altar while the people prayed outside, our text says. The angel Gabriel appears to him. In some ways it's kind of ironic that Zechariah is the one who's putting that incense on the altar, lifting up the prayers of the people. Because here's, the man, here's a man who's going through the motions of worship, but he doesn't really believe in prayer. He's just doing his job. We're told that when he sees Gabriel, he becomes terrified. He probably thinks he did something wrong. And you might remember from other stories that um, oftentimes they tie a, a, a rope onto the high priest's ankle so that if somehow they saw the glory of God and that glory killed him, they could at least pull him out of the Holy of Holies. So I'm sure when, when Zechariah saw Gabriel, he's thinking, uh-oh, I did something wrong. But what did the angel Gabriel say to him? He says, fear not, Zechariah. Think of the significance of those words. Not only for Zechariah, but for the entire world. Again, God hadn't spoken for four centuries. And when he did, it was the last time it was the prophecy of Malachi. Lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Those were the last words of the Old Testament. But now Gabriel has come proclaiming a message of hope. A hope from God. Gabriel proclaimed to him that God had heard his and his wife's prayer and they were about to have a child. And the son she bore would prepare the world for the coming of the Messiah. Elizabeth's pregnancy, along with Mary's, which we'll look at next week, really was miraculous. For Elizabeth, she was too old. There's no way that she could conceive. Her body had gone beyond that point. And then look at Mary, who was a virgin. There's no way that she could be pregnant. And yet we see both these miracles come to pass in, in this first chapter. It's an important thing to have. Because when hope is gone, it's so easy to give up. Despite God's silence, he kept his promise. Our God was faithful. And just as he promised in the Garden of Eden, finally, the Messiah would come. And because he's sovereign, it would come to pass just as he said wasn't like, oh, God saw that somebody was pregnant, and so he says, okay, I'm going to use that. No, God was behind it all. He was sovereign, and he was in control, bringing things, things to their appointed end, just as he said he would. Listen to how Gabriel says their son John would prepare the way for the Messiah. They were to dedicate John to be a Nazarite all the days of his life, He would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from within the womb. So the Holy Spirit was upon this child. 
And God would use him to turn back many to him so that they would confess their sins. And he would go before God and the people with the power of Elijah. Many would rejoice in John's birth. Now for those who Zechariah shared Gabriel's good news with, they would have seen how right away this was a fulfillment, a prophecy. Malachi had predicted exactly what John the Baptist would do. Malachi 4. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord, day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Even before Malachi wrote his book, the prophet Isaiah had declared something similar in Isaiah 40. That John, again, who would be like just like um, Elijah, he would be one calling from the desert, clear the way for the Lord, make a smooth path in the desert, a highway for our God. Clearly the prophets had proclaimed John's coming. And John's job was to prepare the people for the Messiah. John proclaimed a message of repentance. Sin, focused on their sin and and told them that they needed to repent so that when Jesus come, they could receive the salvation that he was offering. The hope the Messiah would bring was something God's people had longed for, again, for thousands of years. And for John to be the one to herald this good news, to announce Jesus' coming, what what an honor, what a privilege. That's why Gabriel says he will be great before the Lord. Later, Jesus even says that John was the greatest of all the prophets because God had chosen him to proclaim the coming of, of Jesus and introducing him. And just as Elijah fearlessly proclaimed the words of God and boldly called the people to repent, so John would basically have the same ministry. He would prepare the people for the Messiah's coming by proclaiming God's coming judgment against sin. Gabriel says not only would John turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God, but the Holy Spirit would use him to turn the father to their child and the child to the father. What that really means is we're talking about the saints of old, the ones who were righteous before the Lord. See, in Malachi's day, he saw the people all around him and he saw the sin and and the disobedience and turning away from the Lord. And so he was really talking about the children of his generation as well as the children who are to come who were sinful and turning from the Lord and, but that's all going to change when John comes he's going to bring the father to their children and the children to their fathers there's going to be a change there's going to be revival the children will change so that their lives are once again honoring to the Lord Well, I'm sure you remember how our story ends. 
because of Zechariah's doubt, Angel Gabriel says that he wouldn't be able to speak again until, until the baby was born. You just wonder what was going through John's head during that time, don't you? He had basically nine months to go through everything he thought he knew. And all of a sudden, he started to put things together in a way that he never did before. So that by the time he was able to speak again after John was born... He has this proclamation. He has this song that so beautifully describes what his son had, was called to do, but also that the Messiah was coming. On this first week of Advent, we are reminded that even when it seems like God has forgotten his people, God hasn't forgotten. God remembers He's true to his promise. And he's at work even when we can't see him. Even when we can't notice him, he's still at work. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews describes this hope. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It's an anchor so that we can't be moved. This is our hope both now and in the future. The question is, do you believe it? Back in 1921, a missionary couple named David and Savea Flood went with their two-year-old son to Sweden, from Sweden to the heart of Africa, to what was called the the Belgian Congo. They met up with another Scandinavian couple, the Ericsons, and soon the four of them felt led by the Lord to leave the mission station and go far out on the plain to a remote village proclaim the good news about Jesus. At the village of Delora, they were not welcomed by the chief, who would not let them into the village because he was afraid that he would offend the local gods. So these two couples, they set up a little mission station about a half a mile away. They figured there they would try to be a light and a witness to this village. They prayed for spiritual, a spiritual breakthrough, but there was none. The chief wouldn't let anyone go to their village except for one little boy. He was allowed to go and sell them chickens and eggs twice a week. Sevilla Flood, a tiny woman, only four foot, eight inches tall, decided if this boy was the only African that she could talk to, that she would try to lead him to Jesus. And in fact, that's what she did over a matter of time. But there was no other encouragements. Meanwhile, malaria struck this little group, and one after another, they got sick. In time, the Ericsons decided to leave because it was just too much for them and their family, and they went back to the the mission station, but the floods, they stayed out there. After they left, Savea flood found herself pregnant. When the time came for her to give birth, the village chief softened enough to allow a midwife to come and help her. A little girl was born, whom they named Alina. The delivery, however, was difficult, and Savea, who was already weak from her bout with malaria, she only lasted 17 days before she died. Inside, David Flood, her husband, Something snapped. He 
He dug a crude grave for his wife. He buried his 27-year-old his 27-year-old wife. You can just imagine how hard that must have been. And then he took his children back to the Central Mission Station. Giving his newborn daughter to the Ericsons, he snarled, I'm going back to Sweden. I've lost my wife, and I obviously can't take care of this baby. God has ruined my life. With that, he left, rejecting not only his calling, but God himself. Eight months later, the Ericsons died from some illness that they had. And the baby was turned over to some American missionaries who adjusted her Swedish name to Aggie and eventually took her with them back to America. She grew up and eventually married a fellow who became the president of a Christian college in the Seattle area. One day, a Swedish religious magazine appeared in her mailbox. She had no idea who sent it. And because she couldn't read that language, she needed someone to interpret for her. But as she turned the pages, all of a sudden she saw a picture that just struck her. And it was the picture of her mom's grave in that little primitive village. And on it it says, Sevea Flood, and, and the date of her death. So Aggie found someone who could interpret it and, and The woman told her what the article said. It talked about how missionaries who had come to Nadalora long ago had the birth of a white baby, and then mom died. But before that, one little African boy came to know the Lord. And how after the whites had left, that little boy grew up and eventually persuaded the chief to let him build a school in the village. The article said that gradually he won all the students to Christ, and the children led their parents to Christ. Even the chief eventually gave his heart to the Lord. And today there are more than 600 Christian believers in that village alone, all because of the sacrifice of David and Sevea Flood. That's not the end of the story. For Aggie and her husband of 25 years, they had their anniversary in in the college that her husband was part of as as a reward for his many years of faithful service. Gave them a, a, a vacation to Sweden. There, Aggie sought to find her real father. An old man now, David Flood, had remarried fathered four more children, and apparently filled his life with alcohol. He was still bitter toward God, and apparently told his family, never mention the name of God, because God took everything from me. After an emotional reunion with her half-brothers and half-sister, Aggie brought up the subject of hopefully seeing her father. And the others hesitated. You can't talk to him. You can talk to him, they replied, but you just need to know that don't mention anything about God because if you do, he's going to explode. He's going to be angry. But Aggie was not deterred. She walked into the squalid apartment where liquor bottles were everywhere and approached the 73-year-old man lying in a rumpled, rumpled bed. Papa, she said tentatively. He turned toward her and began to cry. Aina, he said, I never meant to give you away. 
It's all right, Papa, she replied, taking him gently in her arms. God took care of me. The man instantly stiffened. The tears stopped. God forgot all of us. Our lives have been like this because of him, he said. And so he turned his face and started staring at the wall. Aggie stroked his father's face and then continued, undaunted. Papa, I have a story to tell you, and it's a true one. You didn't go to Africa in vain. Mama didn't die in vain. The little boy, you won. To the Lord, grew up to win the whole village to Jesus. The one seed you planted just kept growing and growing. And today there are more than 600 African people serving the Lord because you were faithful to God's calling on your life. Papa, Jesus loves you. He's never hated you. The old man turned and looked again at his daughter. His body relaxed. And he started to talk. And by the end of the afternoon, he came back to the God that he had rejected so many years before. What should Zechariah have said when the angel Gabriel told him that good news? He should have said, Lord, I believe. Period. When God invades your life to lead you to repentance and faith, or is that work in your life doing things that you don't quite understand and it doesn't make sense to you, I pray that you also will be able to profess, Lord, I believe because my hope is in you. On this first Sunday of Advent, this is good, good news worth proclaiming. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the hope that has come in Jesus. The hope that it brings to each of us as we live our lives now, but a hope that is ours to embrace and to enjoy forever with you in heaven. Lord, forgive us when we doubt. <coughs> forgive us when we turn away from you. We just pray that as we prepare our hearts for the coming of Jesus, that we might again put our hope in you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing